The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, nice reading. Thank you very much. I will butcher the names. I'm like that. That was nice. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word that you have given to us, that you've passed down these letters written by ordinary individuals in whom you have transformed and changed. You've protected these letters, Father, so that they could come down to us today so that we could hear it being read to us now as we can see it as we're going to be opening our Bibles. We're grateful, Father, that you'd be kind and so good to us to actually give us your word, that you, our God, wrote a book for us. And our Father, we're thankful also for not leaving us alone, that when your son ascended into heaven, he had promised his disciples, his followers, that there would be one who would be given, who would then uh, dwell within the hearts and lives of those who rested in him, and that is your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, uh, again, uh, we sang of your generosity. It is very generous of you that you would give us your Holy Spirit to live and dwell within our hearts in order for us to then take these words and to make them alive and uh, illuminate them into our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would do that, that you would be, continue to be kind and generous and good to us and cause your word to become alive to us this morning that we might be able to take it and live the life that you intended for us to live, a life of, 
of fullness and abundance. So we look to you. And we, we, we need your help. And we pray for that right now. We thank you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ who made it possible. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reads this way. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman or child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God and thus is profitable. Now the challenge is, is we have uh, this end of what I would call kind of a junk drawer list of names and wonder, how is this going to be profitable for us? And so as we come to the passage, we really got to ask the authors, and yes, I use a plural there, the authors, because scripture itself comes really from two authors, one, the human author, in such a way that their, their human personality, their writing style, their mastery of vocabulary, in other words, God uses a human individual not to destroy uh, the reality of their own personal story, but rather to include that in it as they write. And so we have to ask the author, uh, Paul, why in the world did you want us to read this? Why did you want us to have this? And then we got to ask the other author, God himself, who like two rivers coming together, the divine author and the human author come together and the, the confluence of two rivers making one. We have his word and we wonder, God, why is it that you would want to preserve this section for us through the centuries, so that it would come down to this moment today. And then we got to ask the question, how is it profitable? Well, this morning I just want to unpack a little bit of what we have in these verses, and hopefully then as I unpack that, and then I want to put it back together at the end uh, so that we can to understand how it is profitable for us. So I'm going to start with my, my main point this morning, and it's this. It's an exhortation. My main point is this. If you want to experience God's gospel story, here's the exhortation, you must enter into the gospel stories of others. So if you, if you want to experience God's gospel stories then you must enter into the gospel stories of others. So it's easily divided. So we're going to look at, first of all, God's gospel story just for a moment here. And then we're going to enter into and look at then these gospel stories, others' gospels stories. So let's look at God's uh, gospel story. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians if you're not already there. So thus far in his letter to the Colossians, it is a highly doctrinal and slightly personal Letter. Matter of fact, only in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and chapter 2, verse 1, do we get any kind of uh, personality, if you will, we, uh, that, that actually Paul opens up and gives the cards of his emotions, if you will, uh, and, and, and gives us a few circumstances. But it's highly doctrinal. 
So when many times you use this word doctrine, the first thought that comes into someone's mind is, well, that's dry, distant, irrelevant, and dead. For many, the word doctrine is has a negative connotation because it seems distant from life, from real life, and when used, it is only used to judge or harm or divide or a combination of these three. But Paul has a different understanding of doctrine, for Paul sees doctrine as kind of the fashion sense that drives the behavioral clothes of the believers, a fashion sense uh, of the drive uh, to, to put on a particular types of clothes. And here's where I get this. So if you turn in your Bibles to Titus uh, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. So you got Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. Go to Titus chapter 2 and uh, begin at verse 7. Titus 2 verse 7. Uh, this is what... Uh, Paul writes to this elder who is, I believe he's in Crete. This is Titus who's in Crete. Uh, he says, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model. Be a model. Be a model for good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about it. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, and they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything, here we go, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, he says, have a good fashion sense. Allow your doctrine to have good fashion sense so that as you're going through your closet of behaviors, if you will, that you're going to be putting on for the need of the moment, you look at your, you use your good, uh, good sense uh, to, to think through what should I put on at this moment in order that as I live this out, as I put on, and remember Colossians chapter 3, we have a whole number of things that he tells us to put on, put these on, put these on. He says, you put those on in such a way that as you are interacting with an individual, they look at you and they say, wow, you've got good fashion sense. <laughs> that the doctrine of God is adorned. God our Savior is adorned. Now, here's my main point. Remember my, name, my main point here. If you want to experience God's gospel story... You must enter into the stories of others. Now, what's the connection between doctrine and God's gospel stories? Well, here, it's, here it is. God's gospel story is doctrine. And doctrine, the other way around, is God's gospel story. So that in eternity past, God had a story that he was going to work out in human history. So in eternity past, he elected his son to be the one who would come to live a life for people who had fallen uh, because of sin. They had fallen, and so they were sinners evil, doing those things which were against God. And he said, I will, here's my doctrine, here's my gospel story. I will send my son who, who will be fully man and fully God, and he will come, and he will live the life they should have lived. And he will go to the cross to die 
die the death they should have died. He will die. He will be raised up from the dead in order that all those who will trust in what he did for them on the cross will have life. And then that they will then put on all that Christ is for others. And as a result then, salvation is occurring. Mission is happening. People are being saved. Lives are being changed. So this is doctrine. God's gospel story is doctrine. So what we've been doing these last months as we've been going through Colossians is we've been looking at doctrine. But what we're really looking at, we're looking at God's gospel story. So let's go back. Colossians chapter 1. And it's, it starts this way. Verse 15. He is, speaking of Jesus, he is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with a throne or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now in one sense, as you get that doctrine, you think, wow, this is distant. This is the other than. I'm not like this whatsoever. And it can feel that distance, but this is what he did. As he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, speaking of Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And now you're beginning to feel the nearness. Doctrine nearing. God's story becoming near. God's gospel story being near. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So verse 19 is the doctrine of incarnation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is in Jesus Christ, the man, fully man, all of, let's say there again, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, fully man, fully God. So that, here's the doctrine of atonement, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, sorry, on earth or in heaven, making peace, here we go, by the blood of his cross. That is that the wrath of God against all injustices, injustices against truth, goodness, and beauty that is enacted by humanity, all of those injustices and God's rightful wrath, anger, the kind of anger that we have when we see injustice, God's rightful anger was poured out upon his son on the cross. He took God's wrath, God's anger, took it so that those who were unjust could be made, what's he say there? We might be reconciled to him. Reconciled to himself through all things, through him. This is God's gospel story, which we call doctrine. It's an amazing story. God's story. And what he does is he invites you in. Uh, the God who is, as we've been talking about, Jesus over everything, the God who is preeminent, the one who has worked out this plan from eternity past, uh, entering into human history, uh, this God is now inviting you into his story. By resting and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's good news. That's gospel. 
So the majority of Colossians is an explanation of God's gospel story, that it is highly doctrinal. But now what Paul does is he gets personal. And it's so abrupt and dissimilar that it seems almost irrelevant. But rather than irrelevant, I'm arguing this, that if you don't get this last section, you're not going to get the first section. We've got to understand why is it that God wanted to preserve this ending greeting section? Why did he want to preserve that all the way through the centuries so that you and I could be sitting here today trying to figure out what meaning does this have? Why is this practical? Well, if you want to experience God's gospel story, you must enter into the gospel stories of others. So let's look at a few of these gospel stories. The gospel stories of others, verses 7 through 18, read for us earlier. I want to begin with, first of all, Paul. <laughs> um, verse 7, what's he say there? Tychius will tell you all about my activities. I find out a funny word that he used there, activities, uh, that he chose to... Con- chose, considering Paul is writing from prison. And when you think of people in prison, you don't think of them, you know, getting, a lot, getting out a lot. <laughs> not a lot of activity going on. But, but, but Paul is in prison, but it's not the kind of uh, prison that uh, we would think of, not prison proper. See, see if his circumstances sound familiar, familiar to you uh, today. Contextually, we find him in Acts 28. We find this situation in Acts 28. Acts is written by Luke, the physician who's mentioned in our passage here. And it reads this way, Acts 28, beginning at verse 16. Uh, listen to this. When we, Luke speaking, when we, Paul's there as well, when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. I'm skipping down to verse 30, Acts 28. Luke continues to write, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul's imprisonment is house arrest. He had stay-at-home orders. with tight restrictions, restrictions to his freedoms, because he does mention in verse 28, um, in Acts 28, that he's wearing chains, or if you look in our passage, verse 18, it says, remember my chains. Some have thought that he was chained to the guard. And it doesn't seem that much could be done with these limitations, and yet Paul, he uses the word activity as if expressing that a lot is getting done. God was forming and shaping his life, as well as God using Paul to form and shape the lives of those in whom were interacting with him. Uh, Paul was taking the time to, this isolated, uh, uninterrupted time to pray. He, he was taking the moment to write a short note and send it out. Or God was using him to write some letters, letters that have been preserved for us down through the centuries so that we have a number of letters that were given to us as a result of the stay-at-home orders. He was active. 
He wasn't in a, oh, let's wait and see what happens. We'll just kind of go neutral right now. Second thing I want you to pay attention to in terms of his circumstance, again, may feel familiar. It's uncertain exactly when Colossians was written um, in those two years that he is at stay-at-home orders, uh, but it's believed that it's probably written at the end of those two years. And we think that because in the second, another letter that was written during this time was Philippians, and we know that was written at the end. And at, in Philippians, he's actually anticipating his release. And so they believe that Colossians was sent out just a little bit before Philippians, and Philippians went out to the uh, Philippi church. Uh, and so, so now begin to think about the timing here, because he's entered into this home arrest two years, and it is a time of great uncertainty. A time of wondering, when is it that I'm going to be free to do all those things I used to do, that I'll have all my freedoms again? When is it when I won't have to worry about these stay-at-home orders? A time of uncertainty. Hmm. Sounds familiar? Kind of makes you want to read all these letters that he wrote during this time and kind of glean from him. How did you do it? Third thing I want you to notice here is that as a result of his stay-at-home orders, as a result of his uncertainty, Paul did not have employment. He lost his job. He was dependent upon others. And yet for Paul to really understand God's gospel story, he had to be one who was willing to receive the help from others. He was beginning to understand better, more and more, God's story uh, for him. And so for doctrine to be life-giving, near is for Paul the next meal to be relevant and to be alive. He had to experience others' gospel stories by receiving their financial help and by receiving their questions, by receiving their burdens, and then by giving back to them as he could. He wasn't in a wait-and-see attitude, but rather he was looking for ways to use his stay-at-home orders in a way for the gospel story to be impacting others. And Paul knew that for the Colossians... To enter God's gospel story, they needed to hear about his story. So he sent Tychius, verse 7. Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now this is the power of presence in the lives of others. Antichius had been charged uh, with the delivery of this letter. And not surprising when we look at the three descriptors for him. See, look at those again. These three descriptors, uh, and they seem to have some kind of a concentric circle, if you will. First of all, Tychius' focus is as near as Paul, beloved brother. But then it spreads to the church, faithful minister. And then it seems to be wherever. And then to the Lord, fellow servant in the Lord. So let's begin with beloved. Let's begin with beloved. Beloved, beloved brother. What a remarkable word this is. What a remarkable statement this is. I hope, I pray that we do not get tired and this becomes mundane. 
this word beloved. See, see, it's remarkable because it's the same word that the father gave to his son when his son was taken out and begins his public ministry, uh, there's, uh, he, the father calls him beloved. It's Luke chapter 3, verse 22, which says this. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. And with you I am well pleased. Beginning of his ministry, and then we know later on in the Mount Transfiguration, at the end of his public ministry, where he's getting ready to go to the cross, he hears the same thing. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Now the beauty of it is, that's God's story, God's gospel story. He now invites us into that story, where now God says, let me do something for you. I'll give my son... And he will do what you should have done. He will die for you so that I can call you my son. And I can say, you are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. That's amazing. Romans chapter uh, 9 uh, in this classic passage of God's sovereign, grace, gracious election, he says, those who are not my people, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call them my people. And he says, those who uh, are not my beloved, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call them my beloved. And so that's Zacchaeus' gospel story. He was, he was a Gentile. Um, he wasn't uh, a Jew, and yet God brought him in. So we go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and uh, this is this is his story. And you, Tychius, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you, Tychius, in his body uh, of flesh by his death in order to present you, Tychius, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And now you are my beloved, my beloved brother. And he was Paul's beloved brother as a result. He was with Paul during his imprisonment when, when Paul was uh, eventually released. Tychius remains with him. He, he remains with him for another six years. And what's really remarkable about this relationship and what God had done in Tychius' life is that at the end of Paul's life, uh, we read this in First Tim or Second Timothy, uh, the Paul has a one last request, one last wish before he's going to die. And that request is, is that he could see one more time his spiritual son, Timothy. But Timothy's the elder at the church of Ephesus. He couldn't just leave. And so Tychius, who has been with Paul and has suffered uh, with him and has been his beloved brother all this time, Tychius says, I volunteer. Paul, I'll leave you. Even though knowing that Tychius probably wanted to be there at the end of Paul's life, he says, no, I'll leave. I'll go, get, I'll go get Timothy for you. I'll stay there so Timothy can be with you. Wow. What a friend. See, Tychius understood God's gospel story as he entered into Paul's gospel story. And Paul began to understand God's gospel story as he entered into Tychius' gospel story. He's also a faithful minister. 
second descriptor, moving out in our concentric circles. Tychius was a diakonos, where we get our title, the English word deacon. I don't think he's really talking about the fact that he's a deacon per se, uh, as in an office. He just simply means he's a minister, and a minister is one who meets the needs of others. And so we'd have the paradigm of that in Acts chapter 6, in which the Hellenistic widows are not being served, and so they raise up, they raise up servants. They raise up those who are willing to serve tables. He's talking about an individual who is a minister, meaning a servant who's willing to do the jobs that nobody else wants to do, the jobs that nobody else sees, and, you know, kind of the not those so glamorous jobs. And he's a faithful one. Now, if you really want to understand God's gospel story, you need to enter into the gospel stories of our little children over at the children's ministry. You need to work with the infants. See, as you work with the infants, what happens there is you take them up and you're holding them and you've got this infant and he's crying out and he's screaming out and you're doing everything you know you should be doing for this little one. And yet that infant continues to scream and complain. And then the infant gives you a gift. A dirty diaper. And it's there where you begin to understand God's gospel story. Because God is the one who does everything that we need. And what do we do? But we complain and we call out and we cry and we, 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 we argue back with him. And he still continues to hold us nicely. And then what do we do? We give him. Yeah. We begin to understand the long suffering and kindness and gentleness of God's gospel story when we begin to enter into these servant opportunities. Well, finally, he was a third thing. He was a fellow servant. The word servant is the same that we had earlier in Colossians, translated bond slave. And if you remember, uh, a bond slave, he says he's a bond slave in Christ. Uh, Tychius uh, has been given, has really what he's done is he's given up his rights. He has given up his rights in the Lord. Uh, According to Romans chapter 6, verse 22, we are called slaves, slaves of God. Thus, Paul is able to recognize Tychius and all believers for that matter, as he says, a fellow slave. Uh, We're all on one, really on the same level with one another in the kingdom of God, and that is that we have given up our rights over to a gracious, kind master who happens to uh, rule us really well. Good. So again, what's your attitude before God this morning? Is your attitude one of arguing, demanding that God would acknowledge your rights? Or are you one who recognizes, no, I give up my rights to him. Whatever he brings into my life, whatever situation, whatever calling he has on my life, I submit because this is the best. Tychius was one who was a fellow servant. And so no wonder we have these three descriptions. Paul sends this man to encourage the Colossians. There is a power of your presence in lives of others uh, like this. But there is a second individual, and that is Anismus, uh, who too is described as a fellow, uh, sorry, a faithful and beloved brother. But we get a little bit more about him, and that is that he is one of you. And so that means that is he is a from Colossians. He's a from Colossae. Um, 
But what's really interesting about this character of these cast of characters is that he is a runaway slave. His owner is Philemon. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, slavery, while slavery in the first century has some similarities to our experience of slavery in the United States, there were some significant differences. Slavery was, was not primarily race-based. Rather, slavery was found in every social economic status for the purpose to pay off debt. So typically, as a last resort, an individual would enter into a slave relationship, would be willingly place themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt. So Onesimus was from Colossia, and he ran away from his slave master, Philemon. Somehow, he, Onesimus, runs into uh, Paul's gospel story, who then, then introduces him to God's gospel story, and Onesimus is transformed. He's transformed into a new man, so that not only did Paul write a letter to the church at Colossae, but he also wrote a letter to Onesimus, slave, Onesimus' slave owner, Philemon. We've got it. We've got the letter. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And it's there where Paul is asking him to reinterpret what has occurred between Anismus and Philemon. Isn't it interesting? Don't you think it's funny? I'll point something out to you that's going on right now. And that is that right now you have a conversation going on. Did you know that when you woke up, you started a conversation? And that conversation was in your head. And all day today, you're going to be talking to yourself. Right now you're talking. Things are going on in your head. There's a conversation going on. And primarily the conversation is one of interpretation. You're interpreting what's happening in front of you in a way that is influenced by your story. So that I can see an event, and I can see it one way, and I'll interpret it one way, and you'll see the same exact event, and you'll interpret it a little bit different because of your story. So what Paul is asking Philemon to do is he's saying, Philemon, I want you to reinterpret the story that you have on Amismus as a result of what God is doing, that God is preeminent. He is over all things so that even his running away was part of God's plan. And so he says in Philemon 15 and 16, these words, for this perhaps, Paul writes to Philemon, for this is perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back for, forever, that is as a believer for eternal life, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. And this Mrs. gospel story has an influence on Paul's expression of God's gospel story where he writes, now look back to chapter 3 in our, in our book, uh, Colossians. He, he writes verses 12 through 13. Uh, this is what he says. He, he's interacting with Anismus now. Anismus' gospel story. He says, I need to write this. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on, here's our clothes again, Put on, allow your doctrine to give you good fashion sense. Put on compassionate hearts, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And with emphasis, so you also must forgive. And so he's calling Philemon to forgive Anismus. You cannot experience God's gospel story 
without entering into the gospel stories of others. One of the reasons why we have missional communities is weekly we enter into each other's gospel stories. We begin to take the doctrine that we are reading and we begin to ask the question, well, what does this really mean in terms of our lives? And we begin to interact with one another and it is uh, messy. <laughs> and it doesn't go well all the time. And we're not very good at it. But this is what we are to be doing. We are to be taking these doctrines. For if we do not take these doctrines and begin to enter into, uh, into the lives of others, doctrine becomes stillborn. It becomes dead. It becomes irrelevant. It becomes dry. It becomes distant. Paul has given us this last section here to help us to see that, hey, doctrine is that which is interacting with other individuals, entering into their stories as God has entered into your story and you've entered into, into his story. Uh, and so we have, we have an isthmus. God's gospel story intending to give birth to life. <laughs> and so we also have Aristicus. You said it much better, by the way. Arist I say Aristicus. You said it much better. Much more nice. We're, we're, we're introduced to Aristicus in, in Acts chapter 20. And we're actually introduced uh, to him in a riot. See, there's an amazing thing that's happening in Ephesus at this point, and that is that uh, the, uh, the, there's an effective, it's, it's showing the effective nature of the gospel to actually destroy the financial gain of soul-deadening businesses. And so as a result of the gospel in Ephesus, the soul-deadening business of idol worship is getting destroyed which is causing riots, and so they can't find Paul, but they know Paul is, or the Aristarchus is kind of a companion, so they pull him in. It's a thing that I think I would like to see happen in pornography, right? The gospel has the power to destroy the financial gain with this soul-deadening industry Simply us living the gospel out. Oh, that'll be a good day. That's going to be a good day. God will. It's an abomination to God. It will be crushed. And so this is, this is what's happening to Christus. He's getting pulled into this. He's getting pulled into this riot as a result of this. He somehow survives by, well, he survives by the grace of God. He, he survives. And, and so he's, he's a companion. We find him a companion with Paul so much so that he gives up his own freedom and Paul identifies him as a fellow prisoner. See, the Greek word literally means caught with a spear. And it was descriptive of someone who was a prisoner of war. So rather than Aristarchus, uh, his freedoms being taken from him, he gives up his freedoms and becomes a fellow prisoner. God's gospel story comes alive when we enter into other gospel stories. Or let's look at John Mark. He's called Mark here. Interesting story, John Mark. His story is one of deserting. 
He's deserting Paul. He deserted Paul on his first missionary trip. So you can read Acts chapter 13 and then Acts chapter 15 for the entire story. But this deserter is the one whom God restores and works in such a way that Paul calls him in verse 11, a fellow worker for the kingdom of God and a great comfort to me. So at the end of his life, Paul asks Timothy to pick up Mark because, quote, he is very useful to me for ministry. The deserter has now become the one in whom Paul depends upon. If you want to experience God's gospel story, you have to enter into the gospel stories of others. Or like Jesus, who's called Justice. Now, that's a tough name to live under, right? Jesus. It actually does mean Savior, and it happens to be uh, the Greek of the Hebrew, Joshua. But God has so ordered and worked in his life that this one who is Jesus, who is called Justice, Justice is his Roman name. It's an expression of righteousness. And so this man, uh, God has worked and made him right, and now he's righteously living out, and so he's called uh, Justice. But we learn something uh, about him and John and Aristarchus in this phrase. Paul says, they are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. We get a sense of disappointment and grief for his fellow Jews when he writes, these are the only men of the circumcision, Jews. See, one of the things we need to understand if we're going to be entering into the God's gospel story is that there's going to be great disappointments along the way. That there are going to be people in whom we care for and we love and we, we sacrifice for and we, we, we bring, get into their lives. And what happens is, is they reject the gospel. They reject the story. They reject the invitation to come in into, in, into his story. We know that this happened with uh, Paul. Uh, his strategy was to travel from town to town, and he would first go to the Jews, and then uh, where they were, wherever they were gathering, and he would bring the gospel to them. He was sharing Jesus as the Messiah in whom they were anticipating, as the one in whom they were hoping would bring relief and, and release from the burden upon their lives. And he says, I've got him for you. It's Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And then he would go to the Gentiles. And so he goes into Rome. He's being brought in there for house arrest. And so what does he do? He called together the local leaders of the Jews. The outcome, however, was disappointing. Acts 28 says some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved and disagreeing among themselves, they departed. Perhaps justice is the only one in whom Paul could count as a true follower of Jesus Christ. And we know this broke his heart. We know this broke Paul's heart that his fellow kinsmen were not responding to this good news. Romans chapter 9, he writes, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And it's not surprising, for when you enter into the gospel story, God's gospel story, you have to experience the same thing that God experienced, and that is grief. 
Not surprising when Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem right before he goes to the cross and he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's a lament. Uh, uh, The city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Entering into God's story by entering into the gospel story of others 